Joseph Allen Wooten, a.k.a. The Hands of Soul. I always throw in there also, a.k.a. Victor Wooten's brother. Because <laughs> Victor, Victor's my little brother. So we're, we're uh, from a family of five musicians. Uh, Victor's the youngest, plays bass. I'm second to the youngest, plays keyboards. I'm three years older than Victor. And then three, three, four, and five years older than me were Rudy on the sax, Roy on the drums, a.k.a. Future Man, and Reggie Wooten on the guitar. Reggie taught Victor and I to play when we were little. They picked their own instruments when they were eight, nine, and ten. Victor and I were five and two. And ten-year-old <laughs> ten Reggie looked at, you know, five-year-old me, two-year-old Victor and said, if you play this and you play that, we can have a band. And my older brothers were always inspiring. And we figured we wanted to do what they, what they did. So uh, Reggie taught us to play when we were five and two. And as amazing as it is that a five-year-old and a two-year-old can learn to play music, uh, what's the most amazing story is that a 10-year-old, an untaught 10-year-old, could teach the five-year-old and the two-year-old good enough so that just literally just uh, three years later, three years later, uh, two years later, we opened. Let's see, Victor started when he was two. Uh, five years later, we opened for war. <laughs> no, I, let me take that back. Three years later, we opened for war. Cisco Kid was a friend. Back when uh, Slipping in the Darkness was a hit. We opened for war. Victor was uh, five years old. I was eight. And uh, Reggie Roy, Rudy Roy and Reggie were 11, 12, and 13. We opened for war. Two years later, we opened for Curtis Mayfield. Uh, a few show, uh, two shows. Two or three shows for Curtis. I can't remember. So the the most amazing thing is not that we learned to play young, but we learned to play from somebody who was who was untaught and just had a knack for seeing your potential and then teaching you like one note at a time. He taught us to play long before we learned what to call it. You know. 
Wow, that's amazing. And you guys have been playing ever since. They're rocking stages around the world. Uh, are, are, are musical giants in your own right, you know, with name recognition. Um, so, so back to back to Nashville. Mm-hmm. You know, where did you come from before Nashville, Tennessee? Kind of give us a little bit about your musical journey after you and your brothers. Well, because I remember going to a, a sound warehouse in Oklahoma City and seeing a Wooten Brothers or the Wootens. To, you know, record in the record band and seeing that you guys were uh, brothers and playing instruments, you know. So, well, the, so here's the thing. So we, we started, my dad fought in the Korean War in the Army, in the infantry. And uh, if you were black in the military back in those days, in the 50s, you saw action. You didn't have a desk job. So my dad was down in the jungle. He was one of the fortunate ones that made it home safely. He switched to the Air Force. And then uh, my mom and, and he started having children, and we were born in Air Force bases all over the country. Uh, Reggie and Roy born in, in in Louisiana, Shreveport, Louisiana. Rudy was born in uh, in uh, North Carolina. Uh, I was born in Columbus, Ohio. Victor, Victor was born in Mountain Home, Idaho. Then we were stationed not long after Victor was born in uh, Hawaii. And that's where we started playing music. Reggie, Roy, and Rudy were in elementary school. They had their school-issued instruments, and they, you know, they were masters at them. Reggie took Reggie took Roy's ukulele. Roy was beating on everything. Rudy took the recorder. Eventually, played the saxophone. So Reggie had the foresight to go. You know, if he does this, and five-year-old Joseph does this, two-year-old Victor does that, we can have a band. He taught us to play. We had a band. A couple years later, we moved to California. Uh, about 68, we start playing like officers clubs, talent shows. Somebody sees us at a talent show and um, liked us. There we are opening for war in 1970. So Victor, you know, it was the summer of 70. Victor was born in 64. So um, he hadn't turned six yet. So Victor was signing autographs with the word that he had just learned to write. You know, he just learned to write his name. He's signing autographs. First thing he's doing. Uh, two, year, two years later, we opened for Curtis Mayfield. So we're playing nightclubs. I mean, Victor and I literally in elementary school uh, taking naps on the weekends because we're going to be playing for 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock in the morning in these California nightclubs. That's how it went. That's how it went. So uh, 1972, my dad retires from the military and the family moves to Virginia. So we arrive in Virginia Halloween night, 1972. And uh, that's kind of, looking back on it, it was a kind of culture shock. We went from very liberal, very hip, big Afro nightclub playing musician kids to uh, to Virginia. I had a I had a principal that was born probably right at the turn of the century. You know what I mean? Uh, she was about seventy years old in nineteen seventy two. So she, I, I'm I'm guessing her age, but she had to have been born somewhere around. The turn of the century, so there's a bit of culture shock there that my mom yeah, went to school and, and straightened out. I won't get into that part of it. But uh, in Virginia, we sort of became the big fish in the little pond. Everybody knew about the Wooten Brothers. We opened, When the big R&B shows would come to town, they'd get local support, so we'd be the opener. We opened for Ramsey Lewis, and, and there's a 
jazz fusion guy named Dexter Wanzel. We opened for The Temptations. We opened for Stephanie Mills. So when, when we opened for Stephanie, uh, Stephanie had a keyboard player named Kashif before he okay. started producing. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to save that for everybody. So on that note, we're going to bring a little Kashif <laughs> to the radio, and then we're going to come back and talk about the Kashif days, y'all. I just got to have ya. That one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you ever turn me on by Kashif?
what was happening in those Kashif years. Okay, well, um, in Virginia, we again, we were the big fish in the little pond, right? We were... We had notoriety in Virginia. All the musicians, all the who's who of musicians would always wind up coming to our, our house and playing in our garage. We knew that we were going to be a big deal one of these days when we when we got called from Kashif, who was playing keyboards for for Stephanie Mills at the time. He said, I, I, I'm going to get a chance to produce. And when I do, I want to produce the brothers. So a couple years later, when he calls back, we weren't surprised because we always knew that we were something special and we expected big things to happen. So we go to New York, we go into Arista Records, and on the wall there's pictures of this new artist that's coming. There's pictures of Whitney Houston all over the wall. We could see Whitney Houston calendars, mugs, t-shirts. So we knew that whoever this Whitney was, she was going to be a big deal. And uh, so uh, we signed our we signed our contract with... Uh, with the new music group, which was Kashif's production company. And we didn't really think about it because we we didn't really know music business. We just knew music, right? So we signed a, we signed a record deal. Um, we signed a, the same label, same producers, same uh, time as they signed Whitney. Whitney signed a great deal. We signed a deal that wasn't so great. So Whitney's career went in one direction, ours went in the other. So the thing that happened with ours, Kashif was a keyboard bass guy. He was that he was one of the first uh, the guy that had the keyboard bass line that stayed home and the chords changed over the top. That was kind of Kashif's sound and he was also the first guy that was doing that la- those layered background vocals. That's those are, now when you say that about the bass and the keys and the, and the bass staying home and the Stuff? Um, no, but they were from the same. They both. They're all from Brooklyn, right? Okay, so that's that's exactly what I hear in my head when you say that. Okay, I, yeah, uh huh, uh huh, <laughs> yeah. So that was that was sort of his sound. There was another producer named Paul Lawrence. He uh, he and he and Kashif kind of had that same sound. They used to call him LJ. But um, so Kashif was the, he was he was the hot producer, man. He had. Evelyn Champagne King and and uh, um, Evelyn the way I feel about you that was that was Kashif yeah he had uh, George Benson had a song called Inside Love uh, uh, Howard Johnson had uh, ooh so fine so fine you blow my mind that sound was Kashif he was a hot producer so Kashif got uh he was he Arista Records wanted Whitney's debut single to be hot so they got Kashif to produce Whitney's debut single so you know Roy's playing drums on Whitney's debut single he's playing the drum fills the live hi-hats the live cymbals over the drum machine pattern that's Roy on Whitney Houston's uh You Give Good Love I was when Whitney sang You Give Good Love nobody was in the studio except Whitney Kashif and me Right, I watched. I watched her sing it. It's another song on Whitney's debut single called uh, called uh, um, uh, Oh, and I sang on the thing, and I can't think of the title of it. I'll think of it in a minute. But uh, I was harmonizing when Whitney was singing on it in the studio, and Kashif said, "Man, go in and uh, thinking about you is the name of it." 
because uh, she's singing on it, I'm singing on it. Uh, I'm singing right, right with Whitney. I keep thinking about you, baby. That's me, right? So that was pretty exciting. Kashif yeah. used, used Roy and I and his band. So we're traveling around the country in his band, but this is what happened. So Roy and I are traveling in his band. The other three are back in Virginia. Well, a band of five brothers can't have gigs if the drummer, the keyboard player, and the lead singer are missing. So they're home not working. We're traveling with Kashif. We come off the road to try to finish the record, and the record is just taking longer and longer and longer. He's producing our record. He's producing Kenny G's record. Kenny G and and uh, me and Roy were sharing a duplex for a while. We're living with Kenny G. We're supposed to record in the morning. Wait, Kenny's. Wait, 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 wait. Y'all were living with Kenny G. Yeah, our, our record budgets wow. were were renting a were renting a duplex. Wow. So for wow. a while, you know, Kenny was trying to do the R and B sax thing, right? Wow. And because uh, Kashif had produced. Uh, uh, I think it was G-Force, I think it was. And then he produced, after that, he produced uh, Gravity, which I sang on Gravity, too. But the thing was, the thing was, Kashif was eating both of our budgets up, man. He was just... And uh, and we were, like, not knowing the music business, we were convinced uh, the Wooten Brothers... Well, we were the Wootens because there was we found there was another Wooten Brothers from Houston. Okay. On MCA Records, so we were the Wootens. But we... Uh, we're convinced when we signed our record deal uh, to take a small per diem to quote unquote save the budget. You know, little did little did we know we were saving the budget for him, right? Because we signed we signed uh, we signed the deadly production deal, right? We signed the Kashif's new music group production company that had the relationship with Arista. So. Our money would come to the new music group on our behalf, which oftentimes we didn't see. So, but uh, let, let me let me get let me get this in there. Is that uh, like sometimes people go, man, that's so messed up, and I'll and it is. But I remind people that somewhere there's a contract with my name on it, right? That agreed to all of it by my signature. So we didn't know that we needed to be as adept with the music business as we were. With music, so that's if anybody learns anything from our story, it's a story of perseverance because we made it past that. Because sheep is going, so is Whitney. We're still playing, but what the thing to learn is: don't just get good at music; get good at the music business too. Stay tuned for more of the Joseph Wooten Hands of Soul story right here on the Toddy Funk Show. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Don't just get good at music, get good at the music business too. And truthfully, there's no real excuse for not knowing these days because the internet has all your answers. Now, there was no internet when we were coming up, and I'll, I'll blame it on the fact that there was no internet to keep me from taking responsibility. <laughs> no, but you know, um, we were like a lot of young musicians, we just wanted. We just wanted that success, and we figured our talent was going to get us there. We figured because we're so talented, they'll take care of us because we all want to make money. And we right. learned, we learned the hard way that that's not always the case. Sometimes it sometimes it works that way. Like it doesn't. I don't think that uh, I don't think Queen Latifah took 
took advantage of Naughty by Nature. You know what I mean? They got in through Queen Latifah. She seemed to take care of her artists. It's been done before, but there's just... Um, when you sign to a production company that has the relationship with the record company, there's a lot of room for error, and we learned it in real time. Okay, everybody, here they are, the Wootens, Joseph, Victor, Rudy, Roy, and the teacher, Reggie Wooten, with something about you. You are on my mind. That's the Wootens, baby. Yeah, so check this. So, so uh, Kenny G was also a uh, 
he was also um, an accountant major. He was an accountant major, so way back then. So he's from Washington State, right? I mean, I'm sorry, he's from from Oregon. So he was like, you know, I'm, I'd advise y'all, you know, to invest in uh, in this coffee company. I think it's going to be something big, going to be something special. And uh, we were like, we just trying to invest in our next meal, you know what I mean? Like, we just we just trying to keep from getting skinny, right? And, uh, but it was, it was Starbucks way back in the 80s. Wow, amazing. So he got in early. He's, he makes much more money from Starbucks than he does blowing that saxophone. We're going to shift into a little bit of the funk right here. So, Joseph. Yeah, man. What was the first funk song, man, that really just knocked you upside the head and just made you stand up and say, wait a minute, what's this? There were young students, and they asked them what they want to be when they grew up. Nobody had to whisper to them. There was no reason to say president. It was baked in. Nobody had to say that to the girls. Nobody had to say that to the black kids. But then James Brown comes around and he changes his generation and he does it with the funk. He does it with rhythm. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, when James Brown does say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud, that's a paradigm shift. Because black people always had pride, but you always kept it on the inside to be safe. And James Brown, uh, James Brown came with this acceptable way that all black people could join together and, and, and state that not only were they black, but they were proud of being black. And then the verses were preaching, preaching uh, to black folks. That's all James Brown was changing, changing a generation uh, with the funk. He told his, he told his musicians, y'all aren't playing instruments, y'all, all of y'all are playing drums. Because he's, he instinctively knew that rhythm was the delivery system of the truth that black people need. And it's always, that's always been what it is. Uh, that's why when slaves came over, they took them drums away. Because black people were still speaking to each other with drums. And, and it's hard to, it's hard to uh, make people subservient when they're united under a groove. So that's what James Brown did. He united us under a groove. We, we were black. We were proud. You know, uh, they didn't. I don't want nobody to give me nothing. Open up the door, I'll get it myself. We got soul power. We're super bad. All that stuff. Sly Stone. Sly Stone brings with it like uh, multiculturalism. Uh, adds the women, and uh, it's just it's the name. So let me let me a bit of history lesson, right? This is the way I see it. History lesson, Joseph Wooten. Go to school, y'all. Check it out. History lesson, Joseph. When black people first come here, uh, they they say that uh, Amazing Grace was written by a allegedly by a slave ship captain who could hear them singing from the belly of the ship, and from that he writes Amazing Grace. And all of the all of the first Negro spirituals. Uh, all are written with the pentatonic scale. What a friend we have in Jesus. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Uh, um, but if you take if you take the pentatonic scale, right, right. If you add one note to that, one note. Now you're singing the blues. So, Negro spirituals help black people to emote and get through their situation. Adding that one note, now they're able to tell their story uh, in, a, in a more soulful way, right? Wow. With that blue scale, with that added one note. 
So from that added blues scale gives us, you know, gospel, put the beat behind it, gives you boogie woogie, it gives you R&B, it gives you all of that. But then when you, when you take that and you accent rhythm, that gives us funk, right? So if, if Negro spirituals is kind of the music of the slave, and then uh, the blues and gospel and is the music of the struggling black person. Nobody loves me but my mother. She might be jiving too, right? <laughs> then comes funk music, though. Funk is a free man's music. Funk ain't funk ain't singing about being in the field. Funk is funk is a free man's music. Funk is the music of of uh, emancipation and freedom celebration, which why, you know, listen to the funk songs, soul power, thank you for letting me be myself again, stand, uh, uh, I don't want nobody to give me nothing, open up the door, I'll get it myself. Even if you play funk music, watch watch what your body does when if you pick up a bass and you hit that E string with your thumb, you stand up straight, right? You poke your lips out at society, you ain't subservient. You telling people how it's gonna be with with rhythm because rhythm rhythm is certainty. Rhythm is certainty. Notes notes and harmonies they're uh, they're things too, but but rhythm is certainty. Rhythm is foundation. So like if you're playing you're playing melodies, people may like them, they may not, but a rhythm will get everybody's attention. You don't have, you don't even have to be a good drummer. You'll draw a crowd on the street. That's right. Now check this out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause my brother right here, but we gonna come back. We gonna get into that James Brown doing that brother James show. Is how we gonna get it ourselves. Right That's, here, right. You know? That's right. That's <laughs> right. I don't want nobody to give me nothing. Open up the door. <laughs> Open up the door, I'll get it myself. I don't give me integration, give me truth, communication. I don't give me sorrow. I want equal opportunity to live tomorrow. Give me schools and give me better books so I can read about myself and gain my truly looks. I don't want nobody to give me nothing. Do you hear me now? Nah, nah. I don't want nobody to give me nothing. But not the door. I'll get it myself. Some of us try as hard as we can. We don't want no sympathy. We just want to be a man. I don't want nobody to give me nothing. Open up the door. I'll get it myself. Do you hear me? We got talents we can use on our side of town. Let's get our heads together and build it up from the ground. When some of us make money, we will get about our people. 
<laughs> he knew he knew he had it too. Watch me, watch me. I got it. Watch me. I'm, I got I got soul and I'm super bad. Man, man, you can't go wrong with that. Okay, Joseph, the hands are so woke, giving us a dope lesson in funk, and we're gonna let him pick up right where he left off. We're gonna keep going down this path, y'all. Listen up, man. We getting the history. <laughs> well, the main thing, funk, funk is a rhythm-based music. And that's why it can always stand on its own. Because music is three elements. Music is rhythm, it's harmony, it's melody. Those are the three components of music. But of those three components, only one of those, only one of those is uh, is primal. Only one of those is primal. So you can take the world's greatest orchestra. And you can take not even the world's greatest funk band, just a good funk band. And the world's greatest orchestra, the world's greatest orchestra can play the world's greatest concerto, and a funk band can come after them and hold their own, right? But you can't put a good funk band on and then follow it with an orchestra, because of the two, rhythm is the one that's primal. Rhythm is the one that speaks to everybody. Not everybody necessarily likes classical music, but everybody likes rhythm. And that's why, that's what James Brown knew, that with funk, with rhythm, uh, they could change a generation. Because because if you're just giving a speech, I don't want nobody to give me nothing. Open up the door, I'll get it myself. Don't want, I, I want that occupation, give me some communication, don't give me sorrow. I want equal opportunity to live tomorrow. Those are powerful words, but when he puts it, when he puts it, to rhythm, now he's changing. Now he's changing a generation because black people, especially in the '60s, needed somebody to be black people's manhood. You know what I mean? So James Brown, he's traveling. He's got his own plane. He doesn't. He doesn't talk proper like like Belafonte or Sammy Davis. He still talks like he's from down south. He's proud to be black. He's. He's uh, showed that he's successful and black. And here's the main thing. He was still available to his community. That's the main thing. He was still available to his community. He wasn't out of touch. He'd go back down to the deepest ghetto and let them put their hands on him and then tell them to get an education and tell them to do all the things he wasn't able to do. So by the time James was done, black people were better off. Because James Brown was here. Black people are better off because Sly Stone was here. And that's that's what music is for. Music is for pushing the ball forward. Rhythm is just a framework that exists already. It just wants you to attach to it. Right. Once you attach to it, it aligns everybody else and we can all move forward. And that's, uh, it's, there's this thing out there that's telling us how to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's rhythm, right? There's literal rhythm, there's figurative rhythm. When you do it, it shows other people how to do it. Once everybody's aligned, you can move them all forward. Right? And you know it's the truth because somebody with bad rhythm don't move you. Right? If somebody got bad rhythm, they'll take the right notes and you won't feel a thing. So there's some, there's this matrix out there uh, that's ready for us to attach to it. Right? To move it forward. Funk musicians know that all. Right, so if you can if you can attach if you can attach some right ideals to funk, 
there's a there's some powerful possibilities and you can look at James Brown and see how that's that's the case. You know, like when you when people are when people are uh listening to September, right? Earth Wind and Fire. The music is so good you don't know what they're singing about, but you feel it lifting you up. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Right? You don't know what they're singing about, you just know that you feel uplifted and it doesn't it doesn't take everybody understanding what you're talking about to move them forward. It just takes you attaching to that funk, doing it well in a convincing way and having something to say. And that's that's what that's what music is for and funk is the vehicle. Well, man, give us a song by Earth, Wind, and Fire that says exactly what you said. I mean, we could go with uh, Serpentine Fire, but I don't know if that's the one you're thinking of. But what was a what was an Earth, Wind, and Fire song that really moved you, Joseph, as a as a, a, a as a young player? Yeah, well, shoot, man, you know Ma- Maurice White was Maurice White is so so for everything he did. But um, if you listen to uh, what's that one that starts with that funky short and red? Yeah, yes. Shining's got for you to say. Don't bring him EWF, the elements, earth, wind, and fire with Shining Star, man. Check this out. Yeah, man. Shining star for you to see what your life can truly be. Shining star for you to see.
what your life can truly be. All right, everybody, we back. We back, and that was Shining Star by Earth, Wind, and Fire. And if, you, and if you're checking out the narrative, man, Joseph, he, he's setting this up. You know, we're talking about soul power, man. We're talking about uh, empowerment through funk music, having something to say. And Shining Star, you know, being something, uh, you know, we can all be Shining Stars in our right. If That's we, right. If we make those right decisions, you know, in our own lives. Mm-hmm. You know, so... I, I was just talking to Joseph, man. We, you know, we want to try to spread this thing around a little bit, man. And and every time I think about this group, man, I always think about my uncles. So I, I told Joseph I wanted him to talk about the Isley brothers a little bit, man. The Isley brothers. So, man, their history's rich, you know, from twist and shout. I'm all the way up, you know, Mr. Big, up into the day, everything else. But man, you know, take us take us on a little funk journey with the Isley brothers, Joseph. Man, with the Isley, the Isley brothers, the first thing we liked about them because they were brothers too. So we liked the Isley brothers for that. They were brothers, we were brothers. But the Isleys always had that mature funk, man. It was like Ronnie Isley singing, always singing that soul, and Ernie Isley was always bringing that passion on that guitar. And then them older brothers look just like older mentors. Like, yeah, hunched over wearing fur. <laughs> hunched over. Don't matter what the temperature is, they always got that fur on. And they hardly sing at all when you see them. But it, it was almost like Ronnie and Ernie uh, just got inspiration from having their big brothers around. Um, the, the, thing, the other thing I like about the Isleys is that like me, they also from Ohio because Ohio has Ohio has a heavy funk footprint from uh, Bootsy Collins and Catfish Collins and the JBs and and uh, Heatwave and Slave and Shirley Murdoch and uh, the Ohio the Ohio Players, uh, um, yeah, uh, Roger Zap and Roger. And uh, uh, L.A. Babyface, and uh, it was it was Bootsy Collins that gave Babyface his nickname. Looked at him and said Braver Bruce, and it stuck. And that's what Braver, you know, you can see it happening. And uh, the Osley Brothers are from Cincinnati, so they from Cincinnati. So there's a lot of lot of funk from Ohio. And I was born, yeah, and the OJ's, and I was born in Columbus, Ohio. So I'm proud of my funky Ohio roots. Man, Ohio, pound for pound, is the funkiest state in the United States of America. Um, that is, that's the place right there. Bro. There's, some, I mean, there's I, something in that I, water, man. Something in there. I will argue anybody today about, man, Ohio being funk capital of the U.S. Yeah, and, and, and the thing about it, if, if uh, Ohio being the funk capital, Dayton seemed to be the heart the heart of the, of the state. I mean, just yeah. from Dayton is... And the the Ohio players, and, 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 and yeah, Lakeside. I knew I forgot somebody. Lakeside, Heat Wave, uh, and and a bunch of artists in between. LA and Babyface, you know. Man, there's a lot of funk, man. There's yeah, a lot of funk, lot of funk. So, funk and soul, right. funk and soul right. from there, and they they both go hand in hand. Cause soul ain't nothing but feeling, and right. funk and funk makes you feel it. One is just the one is just a, the delivery system of the other. Funk is the delivery system of soul, and vice versa. The Isley Brothers, if you guys looked up to them in a way because they were brothers and you guys were brothers, and so there was a connection there, man. Give me a song by the Isley Brothers that you was really, oh, hey, you know what? You said it earlier. Fight the power, yeah. Here you go, people. 
Soul Wooten, everybody. This is my guest today, Joseph Allen Wooten, as he was named by his mom and dad. <laughs> one of the greatest keyboard players in the game today. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit of funk, man. And, and I know, Joseph, as a, as a keyboard pianist, I know that Bernie Worrell, uh, has to has to register somewhere with you, you know, in this in this whole uh, uh, in this whole in this whole situation. So why don't you talk a little bit about Bernie and and, and Parliament? You know, the, the 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 keyboard element that you picked up in Parliament. Why don't we talk about that? Well, Bernie Worrell just he added all those colors to that funk. He added all those colors to that funk. He was a really good rhythm player too. Um, I always love the rhythm players. Um, also, um, uh, the keyboard player for the Ohio player, uh, Billy Beck. Love Billy Beck too. I got a chance to meet him years ago. But um, hey, okay, well, check this out, Joseph. Now, since you got your keyboard right there, <laughs> now, now for me, what messed me up as a kid was when I heard "Skin Tight" because all of a sudden you know, I'm listening to the bass, the groove is just thumping. And it's just, and, but then I hear Billy Beck do something I never heard in like uh, a popular music or radio formatted music construct before. And he stepped outside that progression. Right. I, I don't know what kind of chord that is, but man, show everybody what, what we're talking about right man, now. Man, I, I hate to play it on this on this whirly because my whirly's beat all out of tune. is the guy that made, in my opinion, he's the guy that made the Ohio players' music uh, have more weight than the rest of the funk. Because a lot of the other funk was just getting it done with rhythm. But Billy Beck could put those heavy chords on it. Billy Beck had those chords that was that were a little heavier than the genre to me. You're bad, bad, misses. Bling, ding, ding, right? And your skin tight, britches. All that stuff that he played, all those phrases, and it's just a tutorial in how and the way for a keyboard player to play funk. Because the, what happens with keyboards oftentimes, oftentimes keyboard players don't have very good rhythm because we learn to play on our own, right? Piano recitals and that kind of thing. And if there's something challenging to play, you just speed it up or slow it down accordingly. Uh, piano players aren't always that good, necessarily good in ensembles. But uh, I was fortunate enough that I grew up in the middle of a rhythm section, so so I I, I play very rhythmic. Uh, so did Bernie Worrell, so did uh, Billy Beck, and uh, I just I just always loved them, loved the both of them for that. I love Bernie Worrell's wah wah clavinet. Um, and I love Bernie Worrell's almost cartoonish, cleverly cartoonish uh, uh, tone colors. You know, and you hear you hear him doing it. You know, talking heads. You know, other places. Other places. I mean, everywhere he goes, he's, he was he was just a very colorful, clever, ingenious, and still funky player. 
Yes. Man, because I, I, you know what I used to do? When I was man, probably in the 6th, 7th grade, I would listen to Tales of Kid Funkadelic, and I would listen to the Undisco Kid in my headphones. Mm-hmm. And, I would, and I would pick out one part that Bernie Worrell would play, and I would follow that that part all the way through the song, tuning out all the other instruments. Right. And I'd go back, I'd listen to another part, man. I mean, and it was like that, you know, Ohio players. I didn't play keys, but man, on I Just Want to Be Free. Yes. Man, all that stuff that Billy Beck is playing, man, it was mind-blowing. Yeah. Billy Beck, is a, he's a bad dude, man. And I saw him play, I saw some YouTube footage of him playing, and I realized that we play very similar. He don't play like me, I play like him. Hey, hey, everybody, that's all the time we got, but keep it locked right here next week at 12 noon when Joseph, the hands of Soul Wooten, tells us how he landed the Steve Miller Fly Like an Eagle gig. Yeah, they want the phone. Boo, 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 bo